0: All right, Dr. Odell, Uh, it's Odell, right? Odell, yes, it is. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. As you know, um, I host a podcast and I I like diving into a variety of different topics. Uh, One of those topics, actually a few of those topics, kind of cross-reference with a lot of what you guys do at your institute. So tell me a little bit about your institute, your background, um, and let's get going from there.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, (coughs) This is... uh, it's a pleasure to be on your program, and I, uh, I hope to add, you know, something to your program here for your viewers and listeners. I um, am the medical director of the Bioregulatory Medicine Institute, uh, BRMI. Uh, you could follow us at BRMI.online. That's BRMI.online. On, and we started uh, in 2017. It's a nonprofit organization for the dissemination of information on bioregulatory medicine. Now, when we say bioregulatory medicine, basically we're talking about natural medicine, things that in some way empower the body to self-heal, uh, empower the body to regulate in a, in a normal way. So uh, that's why we use the word regulatory in it. Uh, bioregulatory medicine really comes out of uh, Europe in In some part, uh, it used to be just called biological regulatory medicine, and then they shortened it to biological medicine. But as you know, these days, when you talk about biological medicines, usually you're talking about something else and not natural medicine. You're talking about biologicals, the the pharmaceutical biologicals, uh, which could be anything from vaccines to chemotherapy. So uh, that's not what we're about. Uh, That's why we use the word regulatory in it. And back to its roots, biological regulatory medicine. And again, it's, it's the idea that the body can self-heal if you just give it the right uh, types of things. So uh, that gives us a lot of range of, of what we discuss on our website. Our website is a database of information about the history of bioregulatory medicine, pioneers in it, a lot of different biographies, goes into diagnostics and therapeutics, uh, which is quite a range of that as well. And uh, then we also have a news section. Uh, we post articles and videos, and we have a weekly podcast with Dr. Sharon Stills. Uh, she's a naturopathic doctor in Arizona. Um, we also have a YouTube page and we're on social media. Uh, so we, t- we put on conferences and workshops as well. And all of these things uh, really are, is designed to just inform the public and uh, we don't sell anything. We're totally non-commercial. Uh, we are fortunate to have the money donated to us uh, by people that believe in, in this, this type of medicine and this type of cause. Uh, so we 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 have no commercial influences whatsoever. No one breathing down our back to say this or to say that. So we're very free in in our forum of what we can say and and you know non-censored in other words. And so with our uh, in our news page, we have a lot of uh, what you would think of as censored information. Actually, it's censored off of like YouTube, and so we're yeah. able to post uh, freely a lot of different narratives and. I, I'm really happy about that. Uh, that yeah. we can have that type of freedom in a non in a non commercial, non profit way. Um, we just had a uh, conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, which was sold out. It was a su- great success, awesome. and had uh, doctors from all around the country and also from Switzerland come over and and talk to us about all things bioregulatory medicine. so uh, that was really good and we tried to get a uh, conference going at least once a year and that will be for next year, hopefully in the fall oh. uh, but I'll keep you you know up on that, that date absolutely. again for anybody that wants and
0: it's been fun to watch all y'all's updates and stuff.
1: Sure, sure. We also put out an, e, uh, an e-journal, which is free to anyone that chooses to, to uh, subscribe to it. Um, and you can just go to brmi.online and you'll see a pop-up and you just sign in your, your name and your email address and you'll get a, uh, an e-journal in the mail every other month. Uh, we just put out our uh, 29th e-journal last week. And we've had about 53 podcasts now. That's amazing. So uh, that's all archived in our, on our uh, website as well. Um, I got into it, as I say, about uh, in 2017 to help you know start this off. And I have I've, I haven't done this all by myself for sh- uh, sure. I, yeah, I've your, had a lot of help. And, what's your medical uh, so- background? in? Initially. Yeah, I, I, my background goes pretty deep. I've been a naturopathic doctor for 40 years. Okay. And uh, I did a postdoctoral studies in traditional Chinese medicine at Shantou university medical college in China uh, from 1986 to 1989. Uh, After returning from China to the United States, I met up with a Swiss doctor and he introduced me to biological regulatory medicine, European uh, style. And so I went to Switzerland and studied, uh, did some internship there at his clinic, the Paracelsus Clinic, and started learning more about that. Which That's it's cool. a lot of high tech types of information and uh, diagnostics and therapeutics uh, that was bootstrapped onto more traditional types of medicine like traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, homeopathy, homotoxicology, anthroposophical medicine. So these things merge together uh, within the paradigm of, of bioregulatory medicine. So that's uh, how I got started, but primarily as a naturopath, and learning more about traditional Chinese medicine then learning more about bioregulatory medicine.
0: What got you um, into that initially, as a natural path? Because I mean, you know, we seems like we have in medicine today, we have the these Western uh, medicine med- medicine policies, and then the Eastern medicine. And the money zone for seemingly the best way to move forward is, at least from what I, from my experience, is uh, kind of you know creeping back towards that middle ground because there are some good things with the Western medicine style of things. Um, and then there's also like what you're saying, your background is in, uh, how your body can heal itself. So how do you, how did you find, or how are you finding that middle zone, that, that money zone? Maybe you don't have that middle zone. I don't know.
1: Um, well, no, of course, you know, you, uh, we all work in some middle ground to some degree uh, in conventional medicine, what, what I call conventional medicine, which, you know, changes from year to year that could, the, the, the yeah. drugs change, the surgery techniques, you know, improve hopefully. And things uh, do change. So we call it conventional medicine as, as opposed to traditional medicine, like traditional Chinese medicine, which mm-hmm. is pretty much the same, you know, from from century to century. Uh, the herbs are the same. The acupuncture points are the same and that kind of thing. So uh, looking at it in that way, where we have conventional and traditional Uh, There's certainly a middle ground there. Uh, One thing that conventional medicine has that that it excels in, and that's emergency medicine Mm -hmm. um, and also surgical techniques. Now, what it doesn't excel in is is the treatment of chronic diseases. So a lot of chronic diseases fall through the cracks and people just don't get the help that they need. And that's where traditional medicine can be very helpful. And uh, or bioregulatory medicine could be very helpful for that. So, this is the, uh, the middle ground is really uh, a, a part of, I guess, what you're looking at is how to treat the patient best, what really works for that patient, and everybody is treated at an, in, in an individual way. So, there's no like cookbook recipes for this disease or that disease. And bioregulatory medicine, we try to find the the cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. The cause may be toxicity, the cause could be psychoemotional, the, the cause can be uh, a problem with the ecology of the gut or just yeah. a poor diet or poor lifestyle. So we try to trace back to the, the causes of, of the, uh, the chronic illness or the acute illness. And then rectify that in some way. So
0: that uh, and- that mindset is not the majority of our of today's medicine, though it's very heavily Western Westernized medicine that is treating just the signs and symptoms and not the core issue. Um, I love you know this. I it's not even you know, it. It's not a new idea. It, it's like you're saying traditional medicine uh, attacking the core problem, treating the to the patient uh, not uh, from a macro perspective but a micro perspective. Um, why do you think that today, at least in America? we don't have that as the main source of medicine.
1: I think we've been derailed over the years um, by the pharmaceutical industry and it's become more chemical based Mm -hmm. and that medicine has been divided up. You know, you have cardiologists, gastroenterologists, neurologists, you know, various sectors of medicine. And, you know, it's, it's like the the old adage of the blind man and the elephant you know one one blind man thinks that the the uh the ear is a leaf the other one thinks that the the uh the leg is a trunk of a tree and so they're they're all kind of missing the point that it's it's a holistic elephant you know this is an elephant that they're looking at and so this is what how people fall through the cracks it becomes so divided up so Um, specialized that one doctor doesn't really, uh, you know, talk the talk of another doctor. And people have to see several specialists in order to kind of even get an idea. Then you have the primary care physician that gives you like seven minutes of your time (laughs) and of their time, I should say. And Which you know that's just not enough. Referral. It's not enough to really you know view the the whole problem of of what's going on in that individual. And so people that do bioregulatory medicine, uh, tra- more traditional style medicine are more inclined to spend an at least an hour or even two hours with the the patient initially, just to get to know them, to try to really understand what what's going on, to go through an inventory of, of uh, their, all of their, their history, of their medical history and, and diseases that they might have had that could lead up to what's going on with them right now. Um, and then get a, a whole view of it. Mm. Uh, and then working on that whole view, not just making it, it, chopping it up into little pieces, saying, oh, this is the gut and this is the brain and whatever. Another important part about bioregulatory medicine is, is the psychoemotional field. And we we understand that it's intertwined very intimately with the physical body, and so stress and psychoemotional traumas can absolutely impact the physical. It, it oh, uh, affects our chemistry, our hormone balance, and so we have to take you know these things into account too. Another, th- and, but that's divorced, you know that yeah. the the psychoemotional realm and the physical realm are pretty divorced in in regular conventional medicine that if they say, oh, that's that's a psychological problem, you need to go see a psychiatrist or something. Well, this is not the way it's viewed in in Chinese medicine or traditional medicine, certainly not not at all, that it's it's very intimately connected. The same thing with dentistry. Dentistry has been uh, divorced from medicine, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. I I see sometimes people with with migraine headaches and I'll be looking for the cause of their migraine headaches and I, I so I start to ask them about their dental uh, issues. And I say, do you have any dead teeth, like root canal treated teeth or uh, any problems there? And I say, oh, yeah, I have a root canal treated tooth. And go, well, does it bother you? I say, yes, it does bother me. Well, have you told your neurologist about that? Oh, they think that that's, you know, that's a part for my dentist. My dentist says it's fine. And so they're not seeing that that dead tooth could possibly cause a headache if you follow yeah. me. And so, dentistry and conventional medicine have also been divorced, just like the psycho-emotional realm and, and the physical realm. It seems so, so commonsensical
0: and, that even the people who have, like, I would assume that the people who have, you know, fifteen years of uh, study in medicine and uh all the way from undergrad to specializing as a neurologist or neuroscientist you assu- you would think at least i would think that that should be one of the first things that comes to their mind like the commonsensical logical approach to some of these issues but it's not it, they no, it's,
1: it's not yeah it, it's, it's very it's, much
0: um like what you're saying that's for a different specialty we're just going to talk about your brain but it's all connected
1: exactly um unfortunately th- this isn't the conversations that happen and and P- that's why people do fall through the cracks yeah. and so it's it it's going to take a new type of, of of medicine, really. This that's why we're we're trying to propagate bioregulatory medicine, that, that really is a holistic based medicine. It's a it's a body mind paradigm. Uh, it incorporates biological dentistry into it, and so we're trying to to bootstrap on all these other things to get a holistic picture of the of the individual. And, and looking at them as an individual uh, because everyone is biochemically and emotionally unique. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have to, to treat them as an individual. We can't just treat them as a disease, as a, as a codifiable disease. And that's, that's another thing that derailed medicine. You ask, you know, why is it this way? Because they have to put you into a code, you know, you, okay, you have rheumatoid arthritis, but that doesn't tell us why you have rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. <clears throat> Or you have lupus. Well, that doesn't tell us why. And so we have to, you know, really search deep and, and uh, there's at least uh, there's antecedents and there's triggers for reasons why people develop illnesses. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're all about. So
0: it's been, uh, so within the past year and a half, since the beginning of the pandemic, what's it been like from your perspective, watching everything unfold?
1: Um well at first it was kind of a, a a respite that I really enjoyed. Uh I was, even though I was deemed to be essential, uh and I could still work, which was you know nice because I really am passionate and like to work. And uh of course I have my my second job is in a medical director of BRMI. Uh so I had a lot more time to write and read and research and uh was seeing less patients. Uh, so I enjoyed it at first, but then I realized that there was something really fishy about it all. And what I mean by that, that uh, there was a lot of fear going on, and people were afraid of dying, and it didn't make sense because the numbers just didn't add up in the beginning, as particularly the fatality numbers. When when you have a ninety nine point nine percent chance of of survival. Um, and it's, it's just like a bad flu season. It doesn't seem to justify the lockdowns, the masking, the all the draconian measures that were taking place at the time. And so I started becoming really uncomfortable with it and, and looking into it more and more, listening to other doctors and what they're saying about it. And uh, so I started hearing another narrative, a narrative that was not on mainstream news. And so I tried to, you know, incorporate both to find out, you know, what what is the truth? And but as I say, at first, it was fun. You know, I could play games with with uh, my friends and and do things uh, because I had some extra time. But I I started becoming uh, concerned and and disturbed about it. Um, And then it didn't take long before I realized that a lot of it was a lie. And uh, not that I, you know, deny that there's a virus. No, I don't deny there's a virus. What I deny is that it was a, a serious enough to to justify the, the measures that were taken. But like here in Kentucky, you know, businesses were closed. It was devastating to the economy. People lost their jobs. Yes, a lot amen. of people are, are just now starting to go back to work. Uh, but the businesses haven't recovered. And do you think also that some of
0: that was due to the the novelty nov- of the new virus that there's just a whole lot of unknowns um that may have caused some of that because Well I think those that current-
1: you know in retrospect you know there was a lot of uh mainstream media that had tried actually scared people oh, yeah. and that was you know propagating this you know that's how they uh, people became so um afraid is that they were watching the news and they weren't really getting the the true information the 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 whole information i guess you should say they were just getting one narrative of it and i think that's really what happened and um and now you know we have you know something else and so we we're starting to see that you know that led up to the vaccine even though there were very effective therapies uh, for coronavirus, you know, you have basically two kinds of of flu viruses. You have influenza and you have coronavirus. 80% usually is influenza, 20% is coronavirus. Most of us have had coronaviruses before. Uh, They've been around since the beginning of time. Uh, Yes, this was a chimeric coronavirus made in a lab and also, you know, that it, it spread worldwide and it but what happened was then they uh, there was a, a stop on a lot of the treatments that would be useful for that. Mm-hmm. You know, people that they, they get sick, they'll usually they'll take vitamin C or zinc or or maybe uh, vitamin D. And there was a lot of evidence that that these types of of nutritional supplements and and other kinds of things, other kinds of medications could be very efficacious for for the early treatment of coronavirus where people wouldn't have to go into the hospital. But that information was suppressed. It clearly was suppressed. And so a lot of doctors didn't have that information at their fingertips to really know how to treat their patients. So they were told just to go home, wait until you get sick enough, to, and then go to the hospital. Well, that, you know, in any kind of illness, of course, early treatment, early intervention is important. And that was just a huge, huge mistake. And you know, along with the, the, the misguided information about treatment, then there was this rollout of vaccines. So uh, if you could even call them that. So well, it was- The vaccine? Yeah, the, about the vaccines. And so the- um, So why is it, why do you think that it's not a vaccine? Okay, yeah, it's it's not a conventional vaccine. And uh, yeah. this is uh, messenger RNA. It's a, a genetic uh, coded uh, entity. It's a, a. It was created in a lab, and in a in a way that was never created before. So it's a very new type of technology. Uh, vaccines usually are where you take a a virus or a bacteria and you kill it, you inactivate it, and then you mix it with other compounds, uh, adjuvants or uh, excipients to uh, in some way. Benefit it uh, so that when you inject it into the body, it creates antibodies. So if all goes well, well, this is something totally different than that. Um, you know, messenger RNA has never been used before in this way. So um, you know, the the whole idea is that. They were going to roll this out, uh, but they couldn't roll it out with EUA, with emergency use authorization, if there was a viable treatment. And so that's why the treatments were suppressed. The treatments were suppressed, uh, such things as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and vitamin D and vitamin C and all these other things, Um, zinc and ionophores, zinc, they were suppressed. That, those, that information was suppressed because they, uh, they wanted to get the emergency use authorization through uh, for the vaccine. Again, they couldn't create EUA on a vaccine if there was a viable treatment. Yeah. So it was all about suppressing that information, creating the vaccine. So what was the end game? The end game was the vaccine. And this is really what the rollout was. And if you look at the the patents on it, you know, the patents started on the vaccine started happening even before, before the uh, coronavirus outbreak. And so this is uh you know, it's now very clear that what all this, you know, led up to was these so-called vaccines. So we I'll just call them inoculations. Okay. Uh, that's really a more uh
0: so the patents were were there before the actual
1: That's correct COVID was uh really Yeah. I could send that. you some links. It's it's a fascinating uh tale. The and, actual uh,
0: mRNA vaccine or the mRNA vaccine for COVID nineteen?
1: Yes, the the uh the vaccines, the, the MRI mrM vaccines for the c- coronavirus. Before
0: uh, January of 2020?
1: Yes. Wow. Uh, wow. January 20, in, in 2019 and even before there was other kinds of, of patents that had been developed. Now, you know, they had been working te- technically. Okay, let's let's roll it back to, to SARS-1. SARS-1 happened uh, between the years of, of 2002 and 2005. And they were trying You're to create a virus. Cro- yes, yeah, SARS-1.
0: Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome.
1: Yes. So what they called SARS-1. This was SARS-2. Okay. So um, at, at that time, they, they were trying to create a coronavirus vaccine. And un- they were using animals. They used ferrets. They used rabbits. They used rats. They used mice. And unfortunately, the animals didn't do so well. So the animals actually died a lot of them died of what's called antibody-dependent enhancement (ADE) or pathogenic priming. I don't know if you've heard of that, mm-hmm. but this is where you uh, you inject the uh, the animal with the vaccine, and then you expose the animal to the pathogen. And instead of that uh, vaccine protecting or neutralizing that pathogen it binds to that uh, pathogen and allows entry of the pathogen into the body and enhances the uh, over enhances the immunity and creates an inflammatory situation or a cytokine storm. So and that overwhelms the body and in the ferrets, they died of uh, of autoimmune hepatitis and and, in the rabbits, it was uh, a, a pulmonary type of inflammatory condition. So they couldn't progress to the human studies. Okay, in other words, they just shut it down. They it, and they and of course it just ended. And that they say, well, the, this this pandemic has ended. And so that was back in in the early early two thousands. Now we have this. They didn't even really do animal studies. I mean, not not uh, realistically. And they just jumped right into human studies. We became the test animal. Now the dangers with that are, of course, antibody-dependent enhancement—the same thing that could, you know, that could potentially happen to us. So it, we haven't seen
0: with, that yet, though, have we? With the current vaccine? Well,
1: yes. I think you're starting to see this. You okay. are. Uh, you are starting to see ADE. But um, in what way? Well, with people developing systemic types of, of uh, inflammatory responses. The first, let, let, uh, let me j- jump ahead okay. and talk a little bit about uh, what happens if when you get inoculated uh, with the potential of what could happen. Inoculated uh, with
0: the mRNA vaccine?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, with the mRNA vaccine, yes. So they put the mRNA... Um, into your deltoid muscle, about 75% of it enters into your blood circulation and into your, into your lymphatics. Uh, it doesn't stay there in the muscle. So it travels through your vascular system and then it attaches itself to the ACE2 receptors within the endothelial layer of your uh, vessels. That's this, the, the inner lining of your blood vessels. Uh, there, It does what it's supposed to do. It creates a spike protein, and that's what it's programmed to do. The spike protein is is spiky, and it creates a roughness to the endothelium. Uh, Platelets come along, and they see that the endothelium is rough, and they view that that is damaged, and they adhere to that. So it creates microclots, and that's why they call this the clot shot. Mm. because it creates microclots throughout the vascular system, particularly in areas in the lungs, uh, in the, um, in organs like the lungs or the heart uh, that are very vascular. And that's why you're having, you know, the myocarditis and and other kinds of inflammatory con- uh, conditions in the heart is because that's a very vascular organ. So you but it also can myocard- happen in the brain with strokes or in the lungs.
0: So you kind of think that so, the myocarditis might be part of the ADE?
1: Well, I, no, I think that that's going to come later. And okay. so this is just the initial effect is usually clots. What can happen is that um, in the lungs that these these clots uh, happen in such a way that it creates a, a pulmonary artery hypertension and it could cause right side heart failure. Mm-hmm. So people can, you know, develop just drop dead from heart attacks. And that's what you've been seeing. In fact, in a lot of very strong athletes, I think that's now more than 70 athletes have just dropped dead, you know, uh, post, post uh, clot shot. So, um, and that's, you know, these are highly developed athletes that shouldn't be dying of heart attacks. Um, But so that's the initial thing. And that could happen anywhere from the, uh, most of the, the VIRS data, the vaccine adverse event reporting system uh, says the deaths happen uh, within uh, like about 48 hours after the shot. It is pretty um,
0: weird to see. So like with all with all the COVID stuff and the vaccine stuff, um, like I haven't gotten my shot specifically because I've, I've had COVID, I had a bad. Yes. And so that's one of those topics that most people aren't talking about either is just your natural immunity that you have. Um, True. But when i was looking up what you referenced vares and i was looking up the differences between adverse events reported for the vaccine versus all flu vaccines over the last 50 years it's pretty insane how how much how much more the covid vaccine adverse events were recorded versus in the last 8 months or 9 months since it first rolled out versus 50 years of all, I think there's like 34 different flu vaccines. And I compared those numbers, uh, I wish I had them, I should have prepared for it, but I wish I had them with me. But uh, it's a difference in tens of thousands where the flu vaccine over 30 years had very small amount of uh, adverse adverse events events annually. Compared to six months or seven months of one vaccine, having adverse events for six months. It's in that, that alone, right there, was just kind of like, "Oh, that's there's something off here." Like I, I get modern medicine, I, there is some important things that we should pay attention to, but there's just something off here um, that yeah. I'm, I'm concerned
1: about. Well, it's it's a tsunami, you know, of 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 death. Uh, right now, uh, the data reports eighteen thousand and seventy eight reported deaths. Eighteen thousand. Where's that and from? That's virus.
0: That's virus right there
1: yeah wow. that's that's the cdc and uh overall as as far as adverse events there was 856,919 adverse events uh up to october the 29th
0: and are these uh, moderate to severe? Are these? Yeah, the
1: severe events. Yeah, severe, severe events means that you can't work, that, you know, you can't, a lot of people can't walk. They're, they're convulsing. The They've Athens had there. strokes. They've had, you know, severe uh, events that that have taken them down, taken them out. And so now keep in mind that there was a Harvard study uh, some years ago that said uh, only 1% is reported to VIRS. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And and the reason is is it's a hard to report a, a case. You have to have the lot number. Uh, you have to have you know the date it was given, a doctor that was given it, the place it was given. You have to have all this information. And so if you don't have any of that, uh, all of that information, they won't take the the case. They won't record the case. So um, wow. it. This is, you know, the problem. And then it takes time. You know, many uh, as a healthcare worker, you're required to report an adverse event, but most healthcare workers don't in the hospital. It just Especially takes too ER. much time to do it. So they say that, you know, if if it's, let's say you can say that 10% is it's only 10% that's recorded. Well, if it's if it's still uh, 856,000, you know, times 10, that's you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of adverse events. Or if it's uh, 18,000, that would be 180,000 deaths. So, and that's just the United States. Now, there's another reporting system. It's called Endura Vigilance. And this is the European reporting system. They now record 20,000 fatalities and 1.9 million. Uh, adverse injuries, reverse events. Have you heard so, of uh Dr. Harold Wallach?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard of I had Harold. him on the podcast and he he talked about the study that he did that kind of swept through waves of the scientific community regarding the vaccine. And he came to very similar conclusions. He pretty much did a meta-analysis of all those reporting agencies that you're referencing for all of Europe, Germany, you know, the US, he added theirs in there and came to some very strong conclusions as well. And so my point in all this and all I'm trying to do is is um, bring to light that there is something that needs to be looked at with the safety of a lot of these uh, vaccines. Um, A lot of people have discredited him since then. Even prior to that, they kind of basically said he's a kook. He's uh, into some weird uh, type of medicine research that has no bearing upon today's reality. And that's honestly, like if you come out against the vaccine, that's what you're fighting against. You're fighting against getting canceled as well because it doesn't fit the narrative. And that's concerning. And so this podcast lately has has been trying to just, hey, here are two sides of the aisle. Here are two mm-hmm. sides of the spectrum. Um, there are some scientists, some people who have a lot of years in studying medicine that are saying things like what you're saying. And for me, that's concerning. And I'm just trying to bring some of those to light, exactly what you're doing right now with BRMI.
1: Well, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And the uh, in any kind of medicine, you know, you, there's three things you consider. Uh, the first thing you consider is, um, is it necessary? The second thing you consider is, is it efficacious? Is it, you know, does it work? And the third thing you consider, is it safe? And so this is where, you know, all three of those things, if we looked at it closely, where there's concerns about it with this uh, inoculation. Um, is it necessary? No. Well, we have other types of therapies that are very e- effective for treating early COVID and that doctors have been talking about. <coughs> is it um is it you know really necessary um, w- with the low fatality rates, uh, which are extremely low? You know, it's it's zero point two percent fatality, even lower in children. So the fatalities, of course, get higher as you get older. You know, as you get closer to the seventy-seven year mark, it gets a little bit higher. Uh, or if you have comorbidities, mm-hmm. but that's the way it is with any kind of disease, whether it's influenza or coronavirus. But for children, I mean, it's almost negligible. You know, children, uh, uh, unless they have comorbidities, you know, they're not going to die of of a coronavirus. It's 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 very very rare, and um, indeed, that they're at negligible risk really, as for, uh, in in re- relationship to this uh, this disease absolutely so uh and is it you know lastly is it safe well with looking at veer's information and looking at all the reports that's starting to come in now no it's not safe and just as you said there's way more uh adverse events and deaths uh with this particular inoculation than any inoculation that's ever happened in history uh any of the other childhood inoculations or uh Influenza inoculations. So um, there's, you know, there's some questions about it. It's, it, no, it's, it's, it's not necessary. No, it's not efficacious. No, it's not safe. And so we we have to, you know, start considering, you know, what are we doing? And now there's a rollout, you know, which, which is this is really troubling me, and I've been troubled for, you know, ever since they they agreed to it the fda agreed to you know giving five year olds and uh, to 11 year olds the vaccine this this inoculation and because it's you know it really truly isn't necessary and it isn't safe and there hasn't been any long term studies done on it and you know this is our children and we don't know what kind of side effects it might have down the road. We, it could be ADE, as I say. You know, at first you get clots, but then later on, it could be up to two, three years later, you could develop ADE. Uh, you could develop an, uh, or maybe even a cancer or an autoimmune disease. We don't know. You know, the, the research isn't there. This is still emergency use. Uh, and that's that's the concern about it. There hasn't been any long-term studies. they skipped over the animal studies and for for all we know, you know this could be hugely disastrous. And mm-hmm. for us to experiment on our children you know, to use them as lab rats, you know what are we thinking? And so yeah. I just have have really uh, been seems like disturbed a very, about yeah, this,
0: very much troubling you, which honestly i, I get that. So, in your opinion, why do you think that this is ha- even happening? If we have, you know, things like ivermectin um, that ha- is a viable option. Well, there's
1: an a, there's a monetary incentive here, of course. Of course, and I can't I can't you know say that it's all monetary incentive. I mean, there's there may be something even more maniacal than that. You know, I won't go into that. But I do think that there's a, a, a definitely a huge monetary incentive. I mean, Pfizer and Moderna, they're making you know, money hand over fist mm-hmm. in, in this regard. And and you know, who's who's supporting the media, the mainstream media now? I mean, uh, you know, this this program is supported by Pfizer. Yeah. And, you know, that's all you're seeing nowadays. I mean, it's just like But as soon they, as you
0: start talking about that, you immediately get put into this category that you're not a scientist that you're far right-wing and that you're a crazy person.
1: Yeah. I don't know about being right-wing because I, I, you know, that's, that's just, you know, every bird has two wings. Okay. Absolutely. And so this is uh you know, to, to be able to fly, you know, you have to have a balance there. And so I, I'm certainly not a right-wing crazy person. I I've been a doctor for over 40 years looking at this and this has caused this one thing. I mean, I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all. Yeah. I never have been. You know, I believe in, in medical choice. If it's a person's choice, if they want to uh, to be vaccinated, then, you know, I'm all for it. That's their choice. But to be, for it to be mandated, for it to be forced upon our children, uh, coerced into it. You know, this is something totally different. So, I am for medical freedom and I definitely stand for medical freedom, uh, but that doesn't make me a, you know, far right well, absolutely. or something like that. I never if, said
0: that. I'm, I'm just I, saying I understand that what you're saying. saying. <laughs> yeah. As soon as uh, we even start having this conversation and start asking these questions, this is what typically occurs. You know, you do get put in this box that um you don't believe in this. Like, if I'm asking these questions and I make statements, I've gotten accused of not believing in science and not doing my own re or I shouldn't do my own research. And, but it's really just like finding that balance on the critical thinking aspect of the research that we have out there. You know, what is a good study? You know, why are certain studies being pushed while other studies are being repressed? Um, in specifically the research realm, you know, it's, it's all, it's all just the, the world seems like it just kind of flipped on its head.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, appreciate, you know, your thought on that. And, um, that it's just, it's disturbing. I really think it comes down to money and monetary incentive and that this has just been pushed into uh, the public, pushed onto the public. And now it's, you know, to our children. And, you know, the most precious things uh, in in, in our life is our children. You know, I have two children. They're they're grown, they're adult children. But, you know, growing up uh, and seeing them grown up growing up it's it's such a treasure and i can't imagine <clears throat> if something happened to them and uh, that i could have prevented uh, so i think yeah. it's important that we set we sound the alarm you know to people and no matter how crazy we sound uh, it's important you know now is the time we we have to try to wake you know those that are, are still halfway awake, uh, wake them up in order to to see that, you know, this is a, a clear and present danger, that this is not safe. This hasn't been tested. And it, children are really not at risk, even though that's all you hear about in the mainstream media. It's lies. It's absolutely mm. lies. So, what do
0: you think about the benchmark trials that they've used to push the safety and efficacy of this vaccine?
1: Well, you know, you have to look at those. All those trials have been very short in duration. So, if if there's been any trials, it's very very short in duration. Normally, to to bring a vaccine to fruition, to 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 become licensed as a biological, it could take six. To eight years, mm. and that, that's a that's a normal course. You know, this was you know expedited, and it in in a short course of time, and really, the, it's very questionable some of those studies and, and how they were done too. So if you look into them, you'll see that that maybe. You know they weren't done very well, even the short-term studies and some of the people that had adverse events were excluded from the study uh, in mm. in the results uh, so you know you're starting to hear accounts of this the people they said, well, you know i was in the study, but uh, and i had an adverse event, but they didn't want to to help me or talk to me anymore and they never became part of of the of the results. so <clears throat> this is you know it's kind of a a publisher's bias in a way that they, you know, some of these studies were biased. Mm. So all I know is they weren't done long enough. It's kind of of
0: curious too how we're, because correct me if I'm wrong. The current vaccine that we're at is about five strains off. And I, even though like from our current mutations of the original COVID virus, I forgot what that. Well, that's true. You know, you
1: you have that as well. And it's the same thing with influenza. You know, they have to sort of guess which strain is going to be. And yeah. coronavirus is no different than that, you know. Is is this if you're going to have a, a true a true vaccine, then it needs to be specific for that specific species, uh, so that you could develop antibodies for that species of of or that strain of of uh, a virus, yeah. um, and so that you know that's all true too. So is it is it really targeted to the disease? Probably not.
0: With And what well, we're seeing is <laughs> a, was it 30 to 40% efficacy now with the original, yes. even though like the original efficacy was in the what, 90th percentile or 80th percentile. Right. It's dropped. It's dropped significantly. So it's just. Yeah, it, significantly. There's a, of, there's a lot of just questions that I think it's okay to ask. <clears throat> and uh, so in your opinion, what do we do? As we kind of conclude, I know, I know you're tired. Um, what do we do? Well, I think we want
1: to take care of our bodies. We want to protect our bodies just like we would from any cold or flu. And uh, so, you know, I, I personally, I take vitamin D, I take zinc, a quercetin. um, I'll take some C, uh, a a good probiotic, a good multiple. And, you know, that's about it. I mean, I don't take a lot of supplements, though. I, uh, you know, I'm very versed in in what supplements to take. Um, I could take more than that if I, you know, if I chose to. Um, but those are the main things to keep our immune system healthy and, and then eating well and getting, you know, good exercise. So just doing everything to take care of yourself, to take care of your immunity. The fact that you have had COVID and you have natural antibodies. Now those will last forever. Mm-hmm. And but if you get inoculated, that will uh, destroy your antibodies. That'll destroy your innate immunity. It's been shown to do so. So your T cell count will drop if that. you get inoculated, and it can cause uh, problems with your innate immunity. So it's it's not you know there the information that people are getting is is not accurate. If you've had COVID. Then certainly you don't need to be vaccinated. Um, if you haven't uh, had COVID, then there's there are things that you could do to to improve your immunity, um, short of vaccines. And so, uh, I I just think it it's also important for people to do their own due diligence. You know, don't take my word for it. You know, I uh, though I've had my head in this in this for now over a year, you know, really researching it and looking into it and trying to understand it. Um, I think that's what people need to do. They need to look at more than one narrative. Uh, so you can go on our website, on BRMI's website. We have a lot of uh, videos in our news section of doctors, a lot of them Nobel Prize winning doctors and virologists, you know, from all over the world talking about this. And you get different perspectives on, yeah. you know, what what they're thinking about it.
0: You know, what's and, really weird is that, because I encourage that too, but the counter argument that's been used to fight that is that you're not a scientist, so you shouldn't do your own research. And that that critical thinking aspect is actually destroying um, a lot of what we think in science, which is mind blowing to me, because thinking for yourself, instead of thinking as a collective, seems to be the best way forward. <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: it's really weird. Yeah, Sure. Well, um, as I say, there there are renowned virologists and scientists that have stood up against this and have, have uh, but, but they've been censored.
0: That. Yeah, nobody's heard that.
1: Yeah, but right, but they've been censored. And so, uh, or they've been called kooks or a lot of them have lost their positions. You know, to be a whistleblower is, is a dangerous thing now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, things can happen to you. Uh, not, I mean, sh- even beyond losing your job. So, um, Are there any of these those
0: pe- people that you know that would want to come and talk and share their piece? I'm sorry, say again? Is there anybody that you know that would want to come on the show and, and say their piece well, that have been censored and- <clears throat> things like that?
1: Um, well, let me, let me think about that. I, you know, I, I live in a, I, I don't have a, a, a lot of, uh, communication with, um, with scientists and, you know, renowned virologists and scientists, but I could see what I could, I could drum up and talk about, you know, who, who might be willing to talk. I could uh, certainly give you a lot of names and in, in which you could, you know, pound on Jackson. their doors and, and see if they, you know, they would be interested in, in coming on your program. Well, and, it's just,
0: again, uh, It's just trying to raise awareness to the things that aren't getting into mainstream media in a way that's healthy. That's not in, in a kooky way. That's not conspiracy, but that's just solid evidence. And that's yes. what I'm looking for. So. Yeah.
1: So of course, and, and, and this is what I'm all about too, you know, I'm about evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And uh, but when you, You know, that's what science is. It's looking at at the whole, the whole picture and having different narratives and discussing it. But here we've been narrowed down to one narrative. And if you start talking about a different narrative, then you're going to be censored. You're going to be called uh, right wing, as you say, or something else and uh, try to be discredited. They won't discuss the topic. They'll try to personally attack you. Which and is this a is a same
0: emotional thing. issue that ever, ever, ever occurs in a debate, is they always try and attack you from your like who your character is.
1: Well, that's that's a, from a standpoint of law. You know, in in the world of law, if you can't um, win the case, okay, if you don't see that you have enough evidence to win the case, you attack the witnesses personally. Mm-hmm. Try to discredit the witnesses yep. that, that is a technique in law. And it's the same thing that's being used in, in medicine is you, you know, you attack the person, person's credibility, it's even they the may origin. be a Nobel, a Nobel laureate. Yeah. And, but you still, you'll find some dirt on them and attack them in some way. It's literally the origin of today's cancel culture. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, Dr. Odell um, I know we, we got to wrap up. So what is the last thing you want to say before we wrap up?
1: Well um hug your children and uh, you know ch- cherish your children. Uh, they're at danger and I think that's that's really uh, my concern, my my heart's concern and and do your due diligence and, and research it before you you know decide to do something uh, that is experimental to your body or to your children's body. and so that's that's would be uh, my main message All here right. today. All right. Well, Dr.
0: Adela, I really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to have you on again, maybe sometime in the future to just kind of touch base on where everything else is at life because it's always changing. You know, this whole narrative is always changing and getting perspectives is what I'm trying to do. So I really appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's really been a pleasure and I'd, I'd be delighted to be on your program again. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Have a good night.
1: Yeah, you too. Bye.